0: Well, good morning and good Easter to each of you. I hope that um, you are having a wonderful day, and thank you for joining us here from Journey Church uh, and our worship time. Um, Wow, it's an odd time, isn't it? Really strange, and we're still trying to figure it out and find our equilibrium where we are. But uh, let me ask you this, have you been paralyzed by fear the last few weeks? Are you a little bit afraid to go to work, a little afraid to go to the grocery store, Are you wondering uh, if you should cash out your 401k? Do you have some fear about that? Uh, Are you a little bit concerned about a quarantine haircut? Uh, You know, my wife has been saying uh, that I need a haircut, but I got a little fear, to be honest with you, about letting go uh, at that point as well. So maybe there are other areas of fear that you're struggling with. And if you are a little bit afraid, you're not alone. Someone said that the fear factor of this entire virus is almost as major as the virus itself. We have fears about the economy. We have fears about how it might affect our children. Uh, Are we going to get it? Are we going to be able to recover from it? Will we lose our income? What about long-term impacts? What about getting groceries? Uh, Will there ever be a time when toilet paper is uh, in high supply? We just don't know these things. You know, the fear has a way of creating some pretty ugly scenarios in our Culture like hoarding and overcharging and stealing, and some pretty unethical practices everywhere. Well, today we're going to be talking a little bit about overcoming fear and moving from fear to faith in the context of Jesus' resurrection. We've been on this journey to the cross for several weeks now, and we talked about that at Jesus' arrest, the disciples were terrified, they ran and they hid in fear. And that fear only grew after the crucifixion itself. They were paralyzed, no doubt thinking that they would be the next ones to be arrested. And that would be a normal response. Get rid of the leader, then get rid of the the crowd, the ones that followed Him. And they were paralyzed. And all this had really kind of taken the heart out of them, the wind out of their sails. They had no plan now, no ambition to move forward. But you know, in reality, Jesus had prepared them for all of this. He had spent a lot of time giving them foresight and information about what was going to happen there. In fact, only a few days previously on their way to Jerusalem, Jesus had made it pretty clear to them that some very uh, disturbing events were going to happen. He told them that He was going to be arrested, that He would suffer, that He would die on the third day, He would come to life again. But in spite of all that insight, all that information, they still just didn't get it. They didn't get it. As much as Jesus tried to inform them, they had no concept of a Messiah who would actually die. I mean, they were fully convinced that Jesus was the anticipated Messiah, come to deliver them. But now, their world was shattered. He was dead, Uh, their their group was scattered everywhere, Uh, Jesus had been buried in the tomb. And I think a lot of them just had this fear about what the future might hold for them personally and also physically, their family, everything. I mean, this had been a great run, but but now it was over. And they were afraid not only because of what would happen to them, but also the fact that they had banked their entire lives on this hope. They had given up everything. They had given up their careers, their homes. Some of them had even kind of left their family to follow Jesus. And now they were lost and afraid. But here's the amazing thing. In a few short weeks later, these same men were totally different people. And a few weeks later, they, they believed and they were proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. You know, that's really odd because so great was one of these guys' fear that Peter even denied knowing who Jesus was three times. It was so odd that he would do that, but then later on, he was publicly preaching about Jesus, and even defying a gag order given by the same authorities who had killed Jesus himself. And now all these disciples were rallying, and by their enemies' admission, they were turning the world upside down. What in the world could possibly have caused this shift from fear to faith? Well, obviously, we don't have to look very far for us to find out what made the difference. It was the resurrection of Jesus from death to life. Peter declared it like this in Acts chapter 2, that God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it, that God has brought Jesus to life and we have all seen Him alive. The only reasonable explanation for the transformation of the disciples can be the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which in turn meant that He was the Messiah, whom He claimed to be, which in turn verified everything that Jesus had said about Himself and what that means for us today." You know, I don't think that we totally understand the power and the impact of the resurrection. Because if we did, we would never fear anything again. And so, I think it would be good for us to take some time this morning and to look at the evidence of the resurrection, the, the conclusive evidence, and then look at the impact of the resurrection on our lives. So first of all, I going to ask, is there any evidence of the resurrection? Now some of us would say, yes, we, you know, we have all the evidence that we need. It's just in the Bible. We just believe the Bible. And to be honest with you, that's enough for most of us. We trust God in that way. But there are some skeptics who would say, you can't prove the Bible with the Bible. What is, what's the external evidence of the resurrection? What's the evidence that Jesus really is alive today? So, I want to look at some evidence that maybe you've never considered before. Maybe you count yourself to be a skeptic, or you talk to skeptics, and, and you, you can't convince them that the Bible is the last word. Let's look at some other practical evidences here about the resurrection. And I think the first evidence I want to talk about is what I've already mentioned is the actual behavior of the disciples themselves. What was the origin of the disciples' belief? Because they sure believed that Jesus was alive. And they were so convinced, in fact, that they all died for their faith. I mean, we can believe some things, but do we really believe them enough to die for them? These were not super saints at any point at this, at this time. They were just regular guys like us. They were totally terrified at the point of Jesus' crucifixion and burial, and then suddenly they were amazingly bold publicly and preaching that Jesus was alive. So if you deny the resurrection, then I'm going to ask you to come up with the mysterious X factor that got them motivated if it wasn't the resurrection of Jesus. Let me know if you figured that out, because what can transform someone from fear to faith like that to have a deep conviction that that they would even die for? The second thing you need to ask or explain if you doubt the resurrection is the post-mortem appearances of Jesus. Not just one time, but many, many times. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes them. For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born." Skeptics would say that the followers of Jesus Christ hallucinated and thought they saw Jesus alive because they were so full of faith. But to be honest with you, after the death of Jesus, they weren't full of faith at all. In fact, they were very skeptical themselves. One of the twelve committed suicide. One of them betrayed his Lord, Peter. All of them ran and hid. All of them were terrified the first time they saw Jesus in his resurrected body. One of them even earned the title of Doubting Thomas until he saw with his own eyes and touched with his own hands the scars in Jesus' hands and side. They were the biggest bunch of of faithless skeptics in the world until they saw and believed in Jesus. You know, I know in our world today that there are a lot of skeptics. And maybe you're one of those skeptics. Maybe you really want to believe the claims of Jesus, but this whole idea of the resurrection is really tough for you. But I want to say that there are skeptics and then there are honest skeptics. And if you are an honest skeptic, there's a lot of research that you can do to decide for yourself if the resurrection is real. A lot of evidence to look, look at. And I would encourage you to use what's called inductive reasoning. Inductive reasoning is the process of reasoning from specific ta- facts to a general conclusion, just like in science and history or mathematics. You take all the information and you say, if this is true, then this is true, and what caused that? And I really believe that some people don't give serious thoughts to the claim of Jesus Christ. They don't really consider it seriously. And I have to be honest with you, resurrection is one of those most difficult claims to believe. Now, why is it so hard for us to believe that that Jesus came back to life again, because we all just think about our experiences. And we all just can assume that because we haven't experienced something, then we don't know one person who died and came back to life again, that it can't happen. But the reality is that it did, and that's the miracle of it all. Sometimes when it comes to Christianity and skeptics, we act like facts don't exist, like you have to check your brains at the door to believe in Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, Christianity is prepared to stand up to rigorous investigation. It has many, many times, many times skeptics have taken it on to, uh, to disprove the Bible, but instead they become the strongest believers, from skeptics to believers. And so we shouldn't be afraid to lay out the evidence of the resurrection and the other claims of Jesus because they're legitimate, and they're proven, and there's evidence of that. If you are a skeptic, take all the options, lay them on the table, sit through them, and select the best one. And I will tell you, the honest skeptics are often the ones that are the most convinced of the truth. And the reality is that all of us need to rest, wrestle with it, even if we're not A true skeptic, even if we're just kind of indifferent, we need to wrestle with the facts of the resurrection. Why is that true? Because do you realize that your eternal destiny hinges on this fact and what you will do with the resurrection? The resurrection is the pivotal event in all of history, and your belief in it will determine if you spend eternity in heaven or in hell. I mean, it's one thing to believe that Jesus came to the earth as a baby, and we celebrated Christmas. But the resurrection is a greater event than the actual birth of Jesus Christ, and what we do with the resurrection will determine our eternity. This is not a question for theologians to debate and post their theories on. This is a question that you and I have to decide for ourselves. And so you have to consider the origin of the disciples' belief in the resurrection. What made them believe? What can make us believe today? You have to consider the fact that they turned the world upside down because of their convictions. You have to consider the reality of the post-mortem appearances of Jesus Christ. And you often have to look at one other thing to believe the resurrection, and that is the obvious, the empty tomb. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was taken off the cross, a believer named Joseph of Arimathea offered to take the body of Christ and put it in his own personal tomb that had never been used before. And so, it was common in that day to bury multiple bodies in a tomb. However, it's clear that this was a tomb that had never been used before. In hindsight, that was probably a good thing because there would have been people popping up everywhere, right? But everybody knew the tomb where Jesus was going to be buried, and, and everybody saw Jesus being carried there. I can imagine that there was a, a procession of people who came, even who didn't believe, to see where Jesus was being buried. A Roman guard was posted in front of the tomb to prevent disciples from stealing the body. Now, when I say a Roman guard, I don't mean one guy who may have fallen asleep. I'm talking about a a squad of soldiers who had different shifts to watch the body, to make sure that it wasn't stolen by the disciples. The Bible says that Jesus was buried there late on Friday evening, but on Easter Sunday, the tomb was empty. Now, if there had been a body in the tomb... If there were people giving tours between two and four in the afternoon on Sunday and saying, here's the tomb, and if you look in this crack, you can see the actual body of Jesus, then it would be hard to prove that He was alive and possibly claim that He'd been resurrected, right? But everyone, believers and skeptics, agreed that the tomb was empty. In fact, the very first Jewish leaders' arguments acknowledged that the tomb was empty. They admitted that. They, they had to acknowledge that. And then they quickly fabricated a narrative that the disciples had stole the body. This in spite of the fact that they had convinced the Romans to post a guard to prevent it. By the way, the Roman guard could have prevented the disciples from taking the body but they could not have prevented Jesus from raising from the dead and bursting forth from the tomb. In fact, nothing or no one could have prevented that. Well, let's look at the narrative here about the disciples stealing the body, because that's been cast about, and, and this was the, the story that the Jewish leaders came up with to explain Jesus, Jesus' resurrection. First of all, why would the disciples steal the body of Jesus? That doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean they had a great love and a great respect for Jesus and for the dead in general. They would never disturb the body of their Savior and friend. Secondly, what would they do with the body of Jesus had they stole it? They're not going to parade it around to show people that Jesus was dead. But maybe the best question of all is why if they stole the body, would they perpetrate a lie? And then they would go out and get themselves killed for the lie that they had created. That doesn't make any sense. Inductive reasoning tells us that that doesn't, doesn't fly whatsoever. And also, why would they involve other people in the plan? Why would they involve women in the plan? You know, in that day, women were not considered to be especially credible. But the resurrection story actually gives women a lot of credibility because it puts them right in the middle of it women were the first ones to discover the empty tomb. If there were a lie, it would have been very well thought out, and it would probably not involve women. Imagine them making a plan. They say, let's say a woman found the empty tomb. But any sensible guy at the time would say, no, let's don't say a woman did. Let's say a, a man. People aren't going to believe that story. If we're going to make up a lie and formulate a lie, let's make it a good lie that somebody will actually believe. But the fact is that a woman, Mary Magdalene, went and found the tomb empty first, substantiates the very reality and the fact of its truth. And it places women and places Mary at a very prominent place in the resurrection story. And it was the right tomb, by the way, because then everyone knew where the tomb was. And Jesus had been placed in there as a dead body. And he was dead, which, by the way, is another fallacy or narrative that some created that Jesus maybe wasn't dead when he was put in the tomb, that he actually swooned. But you know what? You don't get pronounced dead by a Roman soldier. You don't get speared in the side, taken off a cross, buried in a tomb if you're not really dead. And you especially don't get up and walk around on Sunday like nothing at all ever happened. No, we can definitely believe the people of that day, especially because half of them, the religious leaders and the government, were trying to keep Jesus dead. They just couldn't control the truth. I think all of this kind of brings it around to us today that we are responsible to at least be honest enough to investigate the evidence in this way, the kind we've been talking about today. So let me ask you two questions. First of all, is this information reliable? And maybe along with that might be the question, personally, am I reliable? Well, I think I am. I would never, ever lie to you, but only you can decide that for yourself. But you don't have to trust me. The reality is I don't make any of this stuff up. There, there, are, just lot, there are hundreds of resources. There are books written on this that you can study if you have personal questions. And we just scratch the surface of it all. But either way, you look at the resurrection. Either way... Whether you believe it or not, you're going to have to believe a miracle. I mean, seriously, you have to believe a miracle either way. First of all, you're going to have to believe a psychological miracle if you believe it didn't happen. You're going to have to believe that hundreds of normal people conspired together and lied and then were willing to die for a lie rather than to admit it. That is a psychological miracle you're going to have to believe if you doubt the resurrection. Or you're going to have to believe a biological miracle that i mentioned before, that soldiers beat Jesus almost to death. They hung Him on a cross, bleeding and dehydrated for six hours, speared Him in the side, pronounced Him dead when He really wasn't dead. And after almost three days, He got up totally well, rolled a huge stone away from the inside, overwhelmed at least four Roman soldiers, and walked around like nothing ever happened. That's a biological miracle. You're going to have to believe that if if you think Jesus wasn't dead. Or you can believe a theological miracle. That Jesus was dead, was raised from the dead to life again. That's the one I'm going to believe, because that's the one I think makes more sense to me and requires less faith, to be honest, than the other two. The simple truth of God's Word. Is it reliable? Absolutely. The final question for you, is this information relevant? Is it relevant to us? You know, obviously, Easter, for many people, does not point to the resurrection of Jesus. It's a national holiday. And some might say, well, why don't we just stick with the fun elements of Easter? You know, the baby chicks, the bunnies, the chocolate eggs. And I'll tell you why, because all those things don't matter. They really don't matter at all. They might be fun and cute for our kids, but they don't matter because we're going to be off to another national holiday soon, Memorial Day and the 4th of July and Labor Day and Halloween and Thanksgiving. We're going to be off on those soon, and those aren't really relevant. They won't matter in the end. What we want to take away today is the importance of the physical resurrection of Jesus. Because without a literal resurrection— I'll be honest with you, the Christian faith is worthless. Yeah, that's that's what I said. It's, It's worthless without the resurrection. Because if there is no resurrection, then Jesus was just a prophet. He was not the Messiah. And that's why the Apostle Paul honestly argues in 1 Corinthians 15, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So everything hinges on the resurrection. If it is not true, then we're all just wishful thinking. A lie was propagated for thousands of years, but we don't believe that to be true. And the flip side of that is if Jesus is alive, then everything that Jesus said is true. And this is the most important issue in life, and it demands a response on our part. And that is why we exist today. That is the message that we have for our world today. That Jesus is alive, and that demands a response, and especially in troubling times. You know, I don't know about you, but I've been thinking a lot more about death lately. Not because I want to, just because I hear a lot more about it. You know, in the last few weeks, I just checked the stats this morning, the virus has caused over 108,000 deaths around the world. Over 20,000 deaths in the U.S., and almost 100, close to 100 here in Kentucky, and I'll be honest with you, there's nothing that makes us more fearful than death. We, we dread that. We fear that. But on the other hand, there's nothing that gives us more hope and strengthens our faith more than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing gives us more hope than that. It is the main theme in the gospel. And the gospel, you know, has a way of working in our hearts to make us look at the important questions in life, the kind of questions we ought to be asking today, not about surface things, and not about personal impact, but, but questions like, is there a purpose in life? Is there an answer to questions of life that it poses, and the answer: is there an answer to death? And where do we go to, to find some hope? Do, do you want to know uh, the, the difference between fear and faith? Do you want to move from fear to faith in Jesus Christ? Here's the thing because of the resurrection of Christ, we don't have to fear anything. We don't have to fear the virus. We don't have to fear the economic downturn. We don't have to fear life or death or illness or accidents or anything else like that, because in Christ alone, we can have complete confidence, peace, hope, and comfort. And that's why I believe that when you see a Christian's response The troubling things in life is going to be totally different. going to be totally different. In fact, the next couple of weeks we're going to talk about how our faith moves us through difficult and turbulent times in life. Difficult times like this and and times that we worry. We're going to talk about the difference between faith and and the the despair that our world oftentimes experiences today. But for today, can I give you the assurance that the evidence demands a a, a verdict— and, and God demands a verdict on our part that we have to believe the evidence that we've seen. And we believe that Jesus is alive and we celebrate that. He is alive. He is risen. It is the message of Easter that we will proclaim, not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday. Every Lord's Day is a reminder of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I would challenge you that if you have not responded to him, you have not responded to this incredible promise and claim of Christ and given him your life, then today is the day to make that decision. And I would love to have a conversation with you. Just contact us through our, our, our web page or through our Facebook live feed or message or however you want to do that. We would love to just sit down and talk to you about addressing your fears and moving them from fear into faith. And the reason that we can claim this today is the fact that Jesus loved us enough that He gave His life willingly for us. And we're going to move to a time of communion and remembrance of that. You know, uh, yesterday afternoon, or yesterday morning, we uh, passed out a lot of these little communion kits that that we offer to people. And so, if you have yours at home, I would encourage you to just take it and uh, gather around here with your family. If you didn't get one of these, that's perfectly fine. Uh, Maybe you set aside some juice or or some liquid and piece of bread or cracker or something that that we can use as we take this time to remember Jesus' love for us. See, it was right before His death that Jesus gave to His disciples these simple elements and said, as you, often as you eat this in remembrance of me, it will become real to you for the love that I have. And so, in just a moment as we take these, we'll be reminded of the love of Christ for us. So, I would encourage you, if you would, to take up the piece of Bread, whether in your kit or uh, perhaps there at home, would you take the piece of bread? And together we'll take this uh, in a moment as we uh, do so in remembrance of Him. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come today and Lord, we just lift up these emblems, Lord, as simple as they may be, uh, that, that symbolize the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of our Lord. And Heavenly Father, as we do this, would you remind us of your love for us, that it's not what we take in this moment, it's the symbolism that we give to it. So Lord, as we take these in remembrance of our Lord and His love for us, and then we look forward to the resurrection, God, we see victory in all this. Even in this death, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So let's take the piece of bread to symbolize the broken body of Jesus. all over central Kentucky and maybe even beyond may we share together in the cup of remembrance the blood of Jesus that was broken for us let's share together